Hey, just this week, I got to spend like two days with a buddy of mine. And this friend of mine, he played football. He uh, loves football. He bleeds football. It couldn't be any more different than myself. But there's something that happened in our discussion. He start, we started talking about his playing days in high school. And he all of a sudden came, started telling me about this word. That there's a word that if it's spoken to him or he hears the word, he begins to get like agitated. And he like wants to hurt somebody. And I, I want to tell you, being the like compassionate, caring person that I am, I really started prodding him to figure this word out. And I was telling him, don't worry, I won't tell anyone as I had my Instagram ready to just kind of go like, this is the word, tell him, you know. But, but I just really started prodding him about that. And having some fun with him, I began to realize it was no joke to him. It just sound like, sounded so different to me that I thought he was kidding. And over time, I began to realize he wasn't, especially not because of the prodding, but as we began to talk about it, he began to get really agitated. His face got flush and red, and he really began to get upset as we began talking about this story. So I asked him, well, what's the deal? How did this happen? And he goes on to tell me that when he was a freshman in high school, he played for a public school, and then they had one day of practice when the varsity played with the freshmen, all the kids played together. And the coach, like, challenged him in some way. It was something about, like, dude, I want you to hit me. Come on, you know, you're, you think you're, he's like the, one of the best guys on the team. Hit me. He goes, coach, I'm not going to do that. And the coach kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And all of a sudden, in front of all the varsity, and everyone, he called him this word. And something happened. Something happened about that situation, about how frustrated he was, how humiliated he was, that it clicked something in his brain. From that time on, that word would set him off uncontrollably. When he was a senior, he said he was playing a football game at Storm Stadium, and um, one of his, the kids that knew the word told this other guy that didn't know him real well, hey, go tell, call him this word. They called him the word, and, he, and the kid ended up in the dugout, slammed against the wall, almost knocked him out. By the end of our conversation, I began to really realize that this was a, a real situation for him. The guy's almost 40 years old. It's not like this happened five years ago. This happened years ago. But it still had an impact on him. It went from kind of laughing and joking about this word to beginning to see that this word spoken at that time during that situation has made a deep impact in his life. You might not have a word, but do you remember a time when words make it some negative word impacted you? Maybe it was just spoken during a certain situation, at a moment, something that was going on, and you can still feel those words. You can still feel it. Maybe it was from a parent or from a friend, or maybe it was from a coach. Maybe it was from a child or a teacher or an employee or employer. What about this? Can you think of a time when someone's words lifted you up? They encouraged you. They made you feel accepted. They got you through a tough time or they helped you to accomplish something that you don't think you were going to be able to accomplish. Do you remember that? Do you feel that? Remember that time in your life? Well, as we continue the book of a study of James, I just really believe that we cannot talk about experiencing the beautiful life without talking about the power of our tongues. Can't do it. 
Matter of fact, this discourse that James has in James chapter 3, I think is one of the longest ones of really, when I look through James, that really he deals with this subject. He unpackages this. He wants us to see in the most just colorful ways, he wants us to see the power of this topic. He devotes a lot of times a time in it. I just really think that James wants those that he's writing to to really understand the power of words. Look at how he starts in James, uh, James chapter 2, in verse 2. <laughs> I didn't realize till right now I put James 1, 2 there. That's James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, can't you kind of see a little tongue-in-cheek there with James? I think he's just trying to paint the picture of how powerful the tongue is. Hey, you want to say you're perfect? Well, how do you do on your words? You've ever faltered on things you've said? Then you ain't perfect, right? It's like this is the reality of the power of our words. What a crazy thought. There's so many things that we can focus on when it comes to experiencing the beautiful lives that it helps us to experience and maybe helps other people to experience. But if we don't give our tongues our words, the things that we say, some attention, we are just going to be spinning our wheels, trying to get to something we'll never get to. This is a key topic. This is an important topic. I looked up some quotes from people over the years that talk about the power of words and the people that maybe see it like James does. And here's some of the ones I came up with. Uh, Confucius said this, without knowing the force of words, it is impo it's impossible to know more. I thought that was a good one. A lady named Jody Picoult said this, words are like eggs dropped from great heights. You can no more call them back than ignore the mess they leave when they fall. Have any ever broken an egg on your floor? It seems like yolk like has a brain of its own, doesn't it? Doesn't matter what kind of absorbent material, it just keeps running from me and moving and it, you can't get it. Anyways, I've never had it happen to me, but I'm sure it does. Al David said this, one lie has the power to tarnish a thousand truths. Pearl Hurd, who was a, a, a British politician, said this, handle them carefully, for words have more power than atom bombs. Or what about Mother Teresa? Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Frederick Nietzsche said this, all I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I can turn the world upside down. You know, he did, didn't he? And Edgar Allan Poe wrote this one, words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. He's saying, words because they can impress the mind and change the way we see things, we need to understand how horrific that idea is and how powerful words can be. So James, he really wants us to see the, how much the tongue impacts our lives and the lives of those around us. So he wants to paint some pictures for us. In James 3, verse 3 through 12, he talks about these comparisons. He compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth and how much that bit 
can control this huge animal. That little thing in its mouth can just turn that animal. I've ridden a horse one time, more than I ever wanted to. I don't ever want to ride one again. But when I got on it, I had too much of the rain on one hand, not enough on the other, and the thing just went around in circles. I still remember this huge beast just going in circles. What a powerful reality. I was controlling where that horse went. Or what about a boat, he says, has such a small rudder at the end, but as soon as that rudder changes, this huge vessel begins to change course, moves it in a whole new direction. Or what about a small, a small spark that can then build a massive, destructive fire that can just destroy anything, everything in its way? And these are images that James wants us to see so that we might understand the power of our words in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is to experience the beautiful life, we must consider the power of our words. To experience the beautiful life, we must consider the power of our words. For words could be negative, but they also could be very positive. I think the verse that just stands out to me the most is in Proverbs 18:21, that just shows the reality of words, that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So here's what I want to challenge all of us to acknowledge. I want us all to acknowledge that we all love words. We all love words. From the person that doesn't speak but two words a week, but they're very strategic and they're very well thought out, to someone like me who can't talk enough and just hopes something sticks, right? We all love words. I remember my son once said, Dad, it's just words. And I said, if it's only just words, then the statement you just made doesn't make sense. It's not just words. Words carry weight, and we all love words, and we are. Every one of us in here are eating of its fruits in our lives today. All of us are. If you were to really think about the situations that you're in or the relationships that you have, and you were to really think about them, how many of those things have been built on our words or the words of someone else? that have gotten us into the place, the situation, the way we see things, how we're relating to people, how many of those things have its foundation? And again, neither your words or the words of someone else. James 3, verse 6, after this analogy, he says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. I mean, he is wanting us to understand our words are powerful. And then right after this, he wants us to get another thing by using another analogy where he talks about that there's all kinds of animals. There's birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea. They are being tamed and have been tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. Man, we have tamed lions, elephants, whales, but I can't seem to control this thing in my mouth, right? That's what he wants us to see. What great of animals that we have tamed but we can't stop biting people. We can't stop poisoning our lives and the lives of those around us through the things that we say. Now, this can really sound dark and bleak and hopeless, huh? But I don't think that's James's point. I don't think James's point is to try to make it be bleak and hopeless. I believe that his purpose is for us to think. 
I think he, I think he just wants us to consider to gain some wisdom, to pay attention. This is important. He uses his discourse to paint this picture, to get us to stop and to think and to consider about what we say and how it affects those around us. The next words he says after this discourse on the, on the tongue, he says this. In James chapter 3, verse 13, he says, who's wise and understanding among you? So it goes through this man, like the boat, the horse, the rudder. Oh, man, this is setting your life on flame. Look at all these animals, and you can't even control this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. Let him show it by his words. Are you wise? Are you understanding? Do you see how much your words matter? By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I hope that each of us today come to a place where we really begin seeing that if there's anything we should focus on to really experience the beautiful life, it should be our words. Our words. Anyone here, when I started talking about this, the first person you thought about was the person sitting next to you? Or your kids, man, those little punks, or your parents are just on me all the time, or that person at school, or that person at work, or whatever it is. If that's what you did, time to refocus, time to refocus back to yourself because you're the only person you have in front of you, right? Time to come back to yourself. How can we begin to see change in this area in our lives? How can we move from eating of the fruit of death because of our words and instead eating the fruit of life because of them? Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's gonna think? Who's gonna consider? Who's going to pay attention? Let him show it by his good life, by his words, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. There's a key word in that James passage, and the word's humility. The word's humility. Because here's the bottom line. Experiencing the beautiful life with our words takes humility. I don't see any other way around it. For our relationships to stop destroying each other, Someone has to humble ourselves and take responsibility to change. Someone has to do it. Why not you? Why not me? Someone has to do it. One of the poor persons in this relationship has to change. Okay, there's a man that I've been meeting with since the beginning of Thanksgiving. Uh, he came in for some counsel about his marriage. I asked him if I can talk about this. So if any of you come talk to me, don't worry. I won't use a sermon illustration unless I ask you. I usually don't, but sometimes, but no, I don't. He gave me permission. But he came to me with some issues that he had with his wife. And we quickly began talking about him. Because one thing I want to tell you, if you want to come in by yourself, we're going to talk about you, not the other person. Just know that, okay? We started talking about him. He didn't like that totally, but we started talking about his words, how he speaks, his body language. And I started challenging him that that's a, he's a big part of the issue. He humbly accepted that challenge, even though he didn't fully agree. Why do you want to talk about me? She's the problem, right? Didn't totally agree. But he looked at himself. Over time, in a couple meetings, he began to stop blaming the other, and he began to take action. And it was a very humbling thing for him to have me tell him that he was a big part of the problem. Not the only part, but the, a big part. 
He didn't like that necessarily. It was humbling. He wanted to fight it a little, but he began to accept it. And it was a beautiful moment. A couple times we met, he all of a sudden, he began to accept his side. And he just said, what do I do? What do I do? And there was two things we began to work on. These two things are so simple. Oh, my, they're simple. But let me, I'm just going to warn you, though. It takes humility and a desire to change yourself, not the other person. It takes the desire to change yourself only, not the other person. We need to get this. You guys ready? This is a big deal right here. If when we're talking about words and changing your words, if something came to mind like this, yeah, I tried that before, but my wife didn't become who I wanted her to become, so I stopped. Or if you're like, yeah, I tried that with my kids, but they just kept being punks, so I just went back to who I was, then all you were trying to do was manipulate the other person to get your way. That is not changing. That is just finding a different way to manipulate. And so until you come humbly and sit there and say, okay, I'm ready. If it doesn't make any difference, it's going to make a difference in me and me experiencing the beautiful life. That is a humbling reality, but something we have to do. Parents, are you hearing me? Are you sure? Spouses, I was at a conference last week and I was listening to these PhDs, experts in kids and parenting and all this kind of stuff. And they made a comment, man, I don't think I'll ever forget. The dominant person always has the responsibility to show empathy to the vulnerable. Parents, you're the dominant person. It's your responsibility. We could spend all our days demanding them change the way they talk, demanding our kids to change, and we refuse to. We're the dominant person. And oftentimes, when it comes to the spitting match with our kids, we all just become little kids, right? I'm the adult. I'm the dominant person. It's my responsibility to see me change in how I talk. And I've, you've heard my sermons about this. Talked about my kids openly, talked about situations with my wife openly, so go back and listen. You might have to listen to a whole bunch to find it, but it's out there. So we need to understand that. So what were the two things? What were the two simple things? They both come from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, I've seen this verse so often, I just want to point this out. We just go right to cursing. You talk to your kids, don't let any know. That's where we go to right off the bat, right? I don't even think Paul was considering cursing. I don't think that was even in his thought. I think he was talking about this unwholesome talk that is worthless and destructive in people's lives. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you here, and you could miss it, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify it. But I know some people that are such great Christian people that even if they hit their finger with a hammer in their garage and their nail popped off and there were no one was in sight, they still wouldn't even consider saying a curse word because that's just wrong. And they are some of the most destructive people I know in the things they say. I want to tell you, I also have some friends that every other sentence, they're pretty darn colorful. 
I mean, it, you can't even get in a discussion without it coming out. But they are some of the most encouraging people I know. Like they'll say something, I'll go, I think he just encouraged me, you know? Not too sure, but, but I think inside that there was an encouragement. And they're not discouraging to anybody. Now, am I saying let's all go out and start cussing? No, kids, no. Steve's not saying that. I'm just saying I think there's a bigger purpose here than we just jump on that. There's more destruction and worthless talk that comes from just what we say. And it doesn't have anything to do with cussing or not. So here's the first thing we talked about with this guy. Number one, have the wisdom to humbly stop saying things that hurt, humiliate, or divide. Stop it. Now, we have a lot of stop it's out there, right? Just stop doing this. Just stop doing this. Stop eating bad. There's a lot of things that's real difficult, right? You get the person that's all in shape. You just need to stop sitting on the sofa and start working out, right? You're like, oh, whatever, you know. You need to stop eating this. You need to stop doing this. Okay, there's a lot of things that are tough, but I think that this is a reality. We need to stop saying things that are hurtful, humiliating, and divisive. We need to stop. Man, and I am not just talking about what you say to your spouse or to your children or to your parents. I'm talking about also what we say about others. How do you talk about politicians, athletes, TV personalities, other parents, other students, other coaches? How do you talk? What do you hear? What do you say about people? It makes a difference. It poisons your life and the life of those around you. And I'm also not just talking about words that we say. I'm also talking about words we put down on things. How we text, how we post Instagram, what we put on Twitter out there. It's any word that we speak. You want to live a beautiful life? You need to stop. Now, let me go back to my buddy that I've been meeting with. It was fascinating what happened when he took this to heart. It took him a while. I told him, you need to stop how you talk, how you always want to fix it, how you put down, how you know it all. He, he does know it all, but you got to stop acting like, right? You need to stop. So we talked about that, and then a couple of weeks went by, and we had another meeting, and he, and he did it. And here's the most fascinating thing. He said this. this is, I'm not kidding. He said, my house has gone silent. What do you mean? I've realized when I decided not to say anything hurtful, humiliating, or divisive, I had nothing to say. And it deeply impacted him. He said, they just sit there and don't say anything. <laughs> he didn't know what to say. Because what became such a habit was the way that he talked. But guess what? They hadn't fought since we met last. So there's another thing that impacted him. He was beginning to see how much his words stirred up frustration and anger in his wife. And I remember as tears begin to well up in his eyes as he said, I'm the problem. My words are the problem. It was just a beautiful thing to see him begin to work on. So now my house is quiet. Now what, right? 
So in Ephesians 4.29, it goes on. It says this. So don't let any unwholesome talk come out of it. It's the very next part. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. So I'm sure many of you right now are beginning to realize why it takes humility as the foundation needed to change how we talk. Because it's not about you saying what you want to say, getting off your chest what you want to get off, making sure they know how you feel about things. It's about what you say that is fulfilling the need to build up the other person to benefit them. And that is not easy. So simple, but not easy. And here's the reality. If we, don't, if we only stop the bad words and we don't start the good words, you're naturally going to end up reverting back to the bad words. It's just the way it is. Any of you tried to keep your mouth shut for a while? Three months, blah, right? It's just going to come. If you don't replace if you don't begin to do things differently, ultimately you might be able to hold your tongue for a while, but it's just going to come back. That's why this became a key. And I also want to tell you too, it's not just face-to-face -face encouragement. This is where this can become a very powerful tool as, all, as well. It could be texting, emailing, sending letters. There's so many different ways you can encourage someone that you love. So many different ways. I began watching a marriage transform right before my eyes, and it had basically to do with his words. I actually have never met his wife as of this day. His words. He stopped the destructive, and he began adding the constructive. And this is fun. This is true, too. This is awesome. I called him and said, dude, you've got to let me go. Oh, full on, dude. So he said, this is what happened. It started, the positive started with one text. One text over two weeks. We met back. I go, how'd it go? You saw, yeah, I sent her a text. <laughs> what was the text? Hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. Can't wait to see you tonight. That's what he said, like something like that. He sent that text. How'd it go? Man, when I got home, it was a whole different thing, a whole different atmosphere at home. So what happened? I, I, I haven't done anything since then. That was 10 days ago. <laughs> it was so new to him. It was awesome. So any of you ladies out there, we're us guys, we take a while. So for you ladies that all of a sudden get a text this week, do not go, oh, you're just listening to Steve. You're all right. Don't do it. Just let us slowly figure this out. How we might just take one step. He was not going to go and, and, and say something positive to her when he's just been for so many years saying just little negative. It wasn't any mean, ugly, negative things. Just small, little negative things. So a text is what he did. And I've seen that text morph into positive words in a healthier marriage. Now when we met, I met with him last week. Now when we meet, he said like, I did this, I did this, I did this. He, he could tell you every day what he is doing to now speak. It's becoming an addiction. He doesn't even consider anymore hurting her. Man, he says, it's weird, dude. Like we get in a little disagreement and I just think, what could I do to help her through this? What can I do? 
to help her know I understand and I love her. Man, they have not been in a fight since Thanksgiving because he is learning to do this. It's a journey. But James is leading us to experience the beautiful life, and that life can start being built today by the words you don't say and the words you do. This guy's changed my life, man. Every time I leave a meeting with him, I, I, I got to text my wife. I got to say, I mean, he's empowering me, too. Such a, I tell him, I go, dude, man, you've made my marriage so much better. Because <laughs> I'm just seeing this. It starts today. I, I read a book this, uh, this year, uh, a couple months ago. And it was, some, I don't know, some self-help book I saw. But he said something that just stuck with me. Every one of us are on an even playing field in one area. We all get to choose today. When I thought about this word, we get to choose what I'm going to say. I get to choose how I'm going to respond. I get to have someone that's, and I just go like, hey, I love you. You know, hey, it's all going to be okay. I, I, I get to choose. When I realize the power of that, can move my life from death to life. The most powerful reality is that all this has its foundation in Christ. All this has its foundation. He is the ultimate example of humbling himself by sacrificing his life for our benefit. You see, the beautiful life is the life Jesus Christ lived as an example. And you know what's cool? According to the Bible, it says he is the word of God. Not just he spoke the word of God. He is the word of God. His life, his death, his resurrection is speaking the word of God. It is speaking to us what God wants us to know. And I think he spoke pretty clearly through his life, his death, and his resurrection. What did he say? I was thinking of all these verses, and this is the one verse that just came to mind. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If God was up there and he found it, he got an iPhone 7, yeah, iPhone 7, and he's going to text all, text all, I think he would say, I love you. I gave my son for you to show it. Oh, my children, I love you. If he was going to send out a, Twitter thingy, whatever it's called. I've never done one of those. You know, and he had like six billion people on his Twitter account. I think it would say this. Oh, how great a love that I have for you, that I've lavished on you, that I should call you my children. Because I want this to be the voice of God in your life. I want this to be what you hear. God spoke through his son and said, I love you. You're mine. You're forgiven. You're my child. And then he goes on in this verse. He says this. Look at it. He goes, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh, man. I pray that we may so clearly hear the voice of God saying that he loves us through Christ, that it may empower us to love others by speaking words that build them up and benefit them so that we might experience the beautiful life and help other people experience it as well. you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you so much for these words in James. I mean, so right in our face, but when we see the purpose, 
not just as a list of do's and don'ts, but the purpose of experiencing life in our relationships, in our journeys of, of this life and all the things we face. What a beautiful passage to encourage us, to help us to see how much our words matter. Hope every single one of us here would see that, the power of what we say. And for anyone here that maybe just feels like I've so blown it in this area, I've destroyed things in this area, I pray that they would hear your voice that says, my grace is sufficient for you. I have forgiven you. I love you. Rest in that. And may that begin to empower them to now see their lives change and how they might come to others. So may they rest in that. And for us that know these things and have just know your love so deeply, help us. Help us to stop saying those things that hurt, that humiliate, and that divide. And give us the humility to begin saying those things that heal, that encourage, and that unify. And may through that, through our experiences, through our relationships, we truly begin to experience the beautiful life for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.